Hello, this is Gidon Rothstein, and this is Parakhav Zayin, chapter 27 of Sefer Mishlei, of the book of Mishlei. We are going to be studying it with this commentary, El of Bag. And he starts with, the puzzle Parak starts with, Al Talel Biyom Machar Kilodei Teidam Yom Don't. The JPS has English, English has it as, Do not boast of tomorrow, because you don't know what that day will bring. And the Ral Bag points out, but don't think that you can make promises that you will absolutely do this or that tomorrow because you don't know what kind of uh, circumstances will prevent you from bringing your thoughts to fruition. So the question is, what is the point of a puzzle like this? Is it to say you can't make any commitments to the next day and you have to always say, well, who knows what will happen? So I think it clearly does not mean that. I think it just means that we need to approach our sense of the future with a certain amount of humility. So Adi Talibiyo Makhari is don't be sure that you can do whatever you can do. So that's one of the reasons why there might be positive value in saying Be'ezrat uh, Hashem or I don't know what right words would be. Mi'ert Hashem if Hashem wants it so there Mishan Hashem doesn't want what we're doing but lets us do it nonetheless meaning Hashem never wants to sin. So you would never say well I'll be Mechal Shabbos and Mi'ert Hashem. So I think there are also I think what the words would be are hard to pick out Be'ezrat Hashem maybe with God's help and by which we mean that as long as God doesn't stop us it's sort of helping us I'm not sure. In any case the point being that the approach to the future should be with a certain sense of humility and a certain sense of understanding that we do not, in fact, control that future and aren't able to control that future. And that's what I think the Pasuk is getting at. Pasuk bet, Then this sort of supports it because this also follows that theme of humility. So the Valbaik says, when you've done good things, don't uh, don't praise yourself. Don't mention the things that you've done. Let somebody else do it because it's a lowly characteristic that would be boasting about your qualifications. This too is something that to think about in which context this might be true. Is it always true? Michelin seems to say that it's always true, although I have many times before suggested that there needs to be nuanced, but here too, the question is, let's say in American society, it's certainly expected that you will in some ways speak of your accomplishments. If you're applying for a new job, you have to speak of your accomplishments. There are certain contexts in which, or if you are uh, if you have a charity organization and you want to raise money for it, you have to speak of your accomplishments. So obviously you need to balance the two against each other and think about where are the contexts where it's appropriate to try to speak of your accomplishments to further your good purposes and where is it that the Pasuk says, let somebody else do it and not you. Or maybe the Pasuk means it to the extreme and absolutely and we should follow that way. Pasuk Gimel, COVID even v'netel hachol v'chas evil kavad mishnehem. The heaviness of a stone and the netel hachol is the sand is also heavy. So the uh, the JPS says that a stone has weight and, natal, and, the, and the sand is heavy, but the anger of an evil is heavier than either of them. And the Rambam doesn't even explain it. It's just uh, he seems to think it's self-explanatory that it's just heavy to bear. It's a burden to bear the anger of people like that. When people are very angry and you have to live with them and be around them, it can be extremely difficult. And it's a load that one has to bear. So the JPS English has it as, there is the cruelty of fury, the overflowing of anger, but who can withstand jealousy? So who can withstand means, would sound like almost that we all get stuck in it. But the Ralbag, and this may be what the JPS means also, but the Ralbag understands it as that the achzariyut, the cruelty, is comes from anger and from the flow of anger, because when people are angry, they don't have any compassion on the people against whom they are angry. So it's like a flood of water that would... That's what's called a shetifaf, a flood of anger, because it'll wipe out everything in its path while it's angry. But the, but nonetheless, the Rabbah says, jealousy is even harder than that to bear, because somebody who is jealous can't stand that somebody else has good. 
and or at least the people of whom he is jealous, and therefore he'll pick bad for himself just to make sure the other person doesn't get good, more good than him, rather than getting good for him and more good for the other guy. Um, and that's worse because when I'm when a person is angry at somebody else, they will do things to them, but they won't generally hurt themselves along the way. But with Kinai, it could happen that way. And the Rabbi tells a famous story. King says to a certain guy uh, who know who he knows, and he wants to he wants to sort of show him the folly of his ways. Who knows, extremely jealous of some other person. He says, "I'll give you whatever you want, but I, you should know that I'm going to give the other person double of whatever I give you." And he thinks for a while, and he says, "I want you to take out one of my eyes." So it's a funny, clever story of the person, but it's also a sad story in showing how much that person's jealousy has gotten in the way. This person could have had enough money or to live comfortably for the rest of his life, but the problem is the other person would have had double that. But so what? So that is what the puzzle is trying to tell us, that kinah is an even greater danger than anger. So the, it's better to have open tochachat from hidden love. So the Rabbi says, why would it be better to have open Tochachat, tochachat is an unpleasant experience and hidden love. So hidden love means that they do love you. But he says, yeah, but if their love is hidden, then it doesn't do you any good. And this would be sort of maybe akin to what they say in studies. Uh, Dr. Pelkovitz of YU talks about this. I've heard him say it a couple of different times, a couple of different speeches. The studies show that abuse is, wor- is better for children. Not better. Sorry, I said the wrong the other way. In studies of children come from dysfunctional families and have problems in their families, those children who are abused by their parents end up having better results than those children who are neglected by their parents. Either one of those is bad and should not be done. But the puzzle seems to be saying something along those lines that if I care enough to engage with you, even if it's to give you tukachat, even if it shows that even if it's an unpleasant interaction, it is nonetheless better than if I uh, ignore you completely and and say, oh, but I love you, of course I love you. So that's what the robot says, that a love that is completely hidden doesn't do anybody any good. So it's almost it's almost worthless. The fact that I in my heart love somebody is not useful to that person unless they actually come to experience it and to know it. So before it was two cases of love, one was tochachat and one was, and one was just regular love. Here... The Ohev is going to create Pitsaim, is going to wound the person, whereas then Sonei is going to kiss you. So how's that going to work out? The Ohev is going to hit you, hit us, in order to try to help us avoid evil. So uh, the example that Rabag gives, the Rabag, the Rabag is taking it fairly literally, we've noticed that before in Rabag, but the example that he gives is, let's suppose that somebody has done something wrong, but they've and been doing so, that a, a relative of ours, who we care about deeply, has offended some thug of some sort. And and the worry is the thug will take his revenge. But if the thug or mafioso or whoever it may be comes to see comes to see that comes to see that that I've punished him. So if I hit the the the, per the offender greatly, they might decide not to take their own vengeance. So their revenge would be much worse. They would have broken his thumbs or whatever it would be. But once they see that I've taken care of it, so that might get them off the hook. So those p'sayim that uh, Ohev gives to that person are going to be better for that person, whereas the Nishikot of Asunay, somebody who hates them, will show them their love, but it's really because it will lead them along a garden path that will eventually uh, damage them. So there can be many times, not always, but many times, when it's better for somebody to be hit and to be hurt than it is to get love and a kiss because the love isn't real and the hurting is done to protect the person.
Pasuk Zayin Nefesh Sivayat Tavus Nofesh Nefesh Reiva Kol Mayim Matok. A stated person disdains honey, but to a hungry man, anything bitter seems sweet. Anything bitter seems sweet. Kol Mayim Matok. So the Rambam points out that the Nefesh Sivayat is not the somebody who's satisfied because they have a lot. It's it's a person who is mistapik, who mistapik, who's just satisfied, who's sameach pechol. What he have is fine. So he doesn't care about getting a great fortune, and therefore, even if whatever he gets in the right and proper ways, that'll be good. So it'll be like honey. Whereas a person who is bal nefesh re'eva, a hungry soul, meaning they always want more and more, always wants a fortune, uh, even so, then even what they get in the bitter, hard ways, and and through anger, he finds it sweet and pleasant because he's just getting. He just wants to get more and more fortune, more and more money, and that's all he wants. And so, therefore, the Rebbe says this is really a, trying to explain to us that we shouldn't want to take a lot. We shouldn't get used to wanting a lot because that will cause us to eventually be uh, be unimpressed with things that otherwise you might have enjoyed. Simpler pleasures that we might have enjoyed and gotten benefit out of, they will uh, be unsatisfying to us. So that the more we get used to wanting and needing, the less satisfied we end up being, and then we have to work at getting more and more and acquiring more and looking for more. Whereas if we had just taught ourselves to be satisfied with what we had, then whatever came our way would be pleasant and good, and our lives would be happy and full of goodness. Like a bird that is wandering from its nest, so is a man who wanders from his place. So the Rabbag says the only reason why birds wander from the nest is for some strong reason. For example, that they, she can't live in that land. There's too much of a famine, and therefore she has to make move to a new place. So too, it's not proper, it's not good for people to be wandering, to be moving from place to place, unless they have a huge reason, such as they need to make a, a living. They cannot make a living where they are. So, And such is what we found with Avram Yitzchak, the Rabbag says, when they decided to move from place to place, it was because they had a great reason. So there was a great famine in the land. So that, the Rabbag is suggesting, is that you should live in the place where you grow up. I don't know that in America, uh, certainly in the Aliyah movement, and those who care about trying to move to Israel, that we think in those terms, but the Rabbag is saying that by and large, one should think carefully, because in moving from the place where you grew up, then you're uprooting your sense of family, your connection to family, and all those things, and it should involve a great reason before one would do so. Uh, another possibility is that just like a bird without a nest really has nothing, so too a man without a home territory doesn't have anything as well. Doesn't have anything. That's another possibility that Rabag offers on that pasuk. Oil and incense gladden the heart, and the sweetness of a friend is better than one's own counsel. So oil and incense, the Rabag notes that they uh, make us happy, and they come from outside of ourselves. So too, taking advice from a friend is is better than just trying to figure it out on your own. And that's what the Pazik is saying. So that if the Pazik is there to urge us to note that don't think that we can be completely self-sufficient, just like we look to oil and incense to make us happy in certain ways, so too we have to do in terms of taking counsel, taking advice from others. Let's read it again and translate it slowly. Your friends and the friends of your fathers don't leave. Don't go to your brother's house on a day when you have troubles. Better a shachin karov from an ach rachok. Uh, and the Rabbi sees it all together. The reason to make sure not to leave or abandon friends is because they are the ones who will really support you in times of trouble. And 
and they'll always be there to help you, whereas a brother who's far away will not be such that. So it's not clear that Rabbi is saying that you can't rely on relatives. I think he's saying that the relatives who are far distant from you, they may want to help, they may be interested in helping, but they're not going to be as reliable a source of assistance as those who stay close. Sometimes those who stay close could also be relatives, but by virtue of their being close, they become these kinds of friends or neighbors who are close, and they can provide the real assistance. Chorafi davar, be wise, my son. Vitismakli be, and then my heart will be happy, and that will help us answer those who revile us. Whereas, achim, this is Rabbi talking, achim to chal to saveshalo, uchal miratoshi saper mumacha. But it could happen that you would do it if you do it the other way. You'll make it that I won't be able to even eat because I'll be afraid that people will tell me all of your all of your flaws. So. It's not clear exactly why the Pasuk is here. I think the Pasuk is here to point out, the Mishnah is trying to point out, that the connection between parent and child is such that children should always think about how their actions reflect on their parents. There are many children who object to this and say, well, I should be my own person, I should only care about myself. So I think that Mishnah is trying to say it's not really true. We should go through life with a certain sense of our parents who brought us into the world and what will embarrass them, and we should hold on to that and think about that. So there may come times when the parents' legacy really, really has to be rejected or the fact that they are embarrassed by something we do doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it anyway. So if you had a parent who was upset about somebody's being Shomer Shabbos, we could be sad about the situation, but you wouldn't say, well, don't do it. So it's it's more, I think, of a reminder that much of what our parents say in general, not in every case, but in general cases, our parents are passing along messages that are good, useful, and valuable, and we should do our best to live up to the standards that will make them happy because that is part of understanding our role in the world. The shrewd man saw trouble and took cover. The wise man sees trouble. So he goes and he hides. Whereas Pataim just go along, they keep going their own way, and then they're going to, and they end up getting punished. The Rabbag reads it in terms of the role of the body in our, in our Persona, meaning that the Chacham sees that the body leads us astray, and he hides from that evil by controlling his various desires, whereas Pataim, who we've seen before, we've seen Kisilim as being people who follow given to their desires, here they're Ralbagas, and saying this Pataim, who just give to their various desires, and therefore they will get the evil that comes from that, because well, the whole body is an Arev, is Shekul Arev El HaNefesh HaMitaveh, because when we give into our various desires, it takes from our intellects, all of its, all of its uh, jewelry, all of its decorations, all of its pride, and so therefore we will get punished for doing such things. That's what the, uh, that is what the petty does. Chavlehu sees his garment for he stood surety for another. Take it as a pledge for he stood surety for an unfamiliar woman. And I, the rabbi says something here, but I just didn't put it down because we've seen these topics before, and they're mostly about money issues and. Then you have to get into the whole question of why you should or shouldn't become an array for somebody else, and we'll do that other times. Uh, we have done that other times, and I think it's a topic for either more discussion or less discussion, but not for this amount that we have here. If you praise your friend in a loud voice early in the morning, it's really like a curse. So how is it like a curse? So the Rabbi offers a couple of options. One option is that if you do it early in the morning and you uh, arise early to go greet him and thank him, 
it's almost making him into being like a god. And that's like a curse then because it's almost like he becomes the vehicle for people doing the wrong things. Or if you make a big deal about the goodness that he does for you and people hear, then it will cause that other people will come who aren't worthy of him getting that favor from him and they will come to ask him for that same thing and therefore you'll cause him to have great loss because he and he did a good favor for you. He did a good favor for you and you're going to have descend upon his door all these people who don't deserve goodness from him. And therefore you have to be careful you have to be careful that when you're trying to give your friend goodness or repay a kindness to your friend you have to do it in a way that they won't cause them damage. That's what Rabbi says. And one more thing it's also possibly that when you bless your friend uh, and that if you bless your friend when he starts talking in wisdom issues and he starts thinking through topics you say oh you're so smart you're so wise that could also damage him because he might think well I've gotten as far as I need to get so therefore you don't want to do that and he won't bother following the discussion or the analysis all the way through the end and therefore it's a klala because you're closing off before him in your helping in, in your and you're praising him, you're misleading him to stop too soon. So that's an interesting take on the idea that sometimes we, I think we live in a society where we think, oh, encouraging is great. You should always encourage. The Rabbah is suggesting sometimes by encouraging, by, by, by praising somebody, we encourage them to think of themselves already having arrived where they need to, and that in and of itself can also be a problem unless we also instill in them the knowledge and the understanding that they have to always try to grow and to gain and to go further in their understanding. An endless dripping on a rainy day and a contentious wife are alike. That's the next positive. If you try to cover her over, if you try to repress her, it just, you can assume do that as repress the wind or declare one's right hand to be oil. So positive. The Rabbag notes the idea that let's say you're living in a house and it's raining outside and there's a strong dripping, so then it's very hard to live there. It's very difficult to be there because you're getting a dripping in the house. It's always pouring down on you. And the same thing would be true with a woman who creates a lot of fighting. Because when you come home, what you want is a little quiet, a little rest, and she will always come and bother you and, and hurt you and uh, upset you. So there's no strategy from avoiding because it's your house. So the same thing with the rain. Doesn't have to be a woman. I think it's, the point is that when there are people who are unpleasant in this way, they can be extremely difficult to be around and cause problems that are unavoidable. Much like a leak in a house, which can't yet be fixed, and it's a rainy day, you don't have a place to go, but you have to bear the burden of this kind of person or this kind of a leak. And then the next person, if you think you're going to try to cover over this woman. Uh, this woman's deficiencies or this woman's lacks or problems, you're not going to be able to because she's going to reveal it to all. Just like people can't hold back the wind, she won't be able to hold back on her on her things. And so too, the same way that you can't, according to Rabbi, so the, the English had it as you won't be able to call your hand oil. The Rabbi has it as if you have oil on your hands, you'll be able to hide that fact because it'll people will just know I think they'll smell it or they'll see it or they'll feel it, but they'll know and you won't be able to hide it. So that this kind of a person who causes fights and is always, I think the Yiddish word is chepering, but is always bothering people, is always upset with people, is always carping at them, is also not only is it hard to bear, it's not a hideable, it's not a, it's not a burden that will be able to be covered over. Pasuk Yudzayin, Barzel Yachad, Pinei, 
Re'ehu. So the same way that the way you use one piece of iron to sharpen another piece of iron, so too you have it with people that when they're learning and studying together, one can sharpen the other in a sort of favor of being a harusa. The idea that we have to understand, coming back to earlier issues of humility, that we shouldn't think that we can just learn on our, on our own and get everything out of it, but that people sharpen each other when they learn together. Somebody watches over a date tree, a, a fig tree, sorry. He who tends a fig tree will enjoy its fruit, and who cares for his master will be honored. Because if you didn't watch over the fig tree, other people would come and take the fruit. So too, if you watch over your master, it, you're going to get the pre hara'ui. So the Ram, the Ramak says, I think that what we mean is that it's talking about your intellect. And if you guard over your intellect so that others don't rule over it or other parts of your body don't rule over it, so then you'll get to honor and wisdom because people will respect you because you'll have proper intellect and you'll have developed a proper intellect. So therefore, Shemir Adonav is not only guarding your master or your Rebbe or your teacher, it's guarding the Adon part of your body, of yourself, which should have been the master and making sure that it stays the master by ruling over the other instincts that we have. La Adam. So Rabag says, so Mayim Hapanim Lapanim is just like face, just like as face answers to face in water, so does one man's heart to another. Rabag says, if you look into the water, you get a picture of a face there. So too, when you have the heart of a person and, and you influence somebody else, it'll, it'll, it'll cause that other person to sort of reflect who you are. So Cain Leva Adam Adam is if one person affects another, influences another, has an impact on another, that will be like creating the water impression, the reflection of the person in the water. It's like what you will have created there. So I think that's a puzzle that's talking about the importance of the value or the uh, satisfaction that comes out of having certain kinds of impact on people around you. Puzzle Kaf Sha'olva Avado Lotizbana Ve'inehadam Lotizbana Sha'ol and Avadon cannot be satisfied, meaning the netherworld cannot be satisfied because they always get more people going there, nor can the eyes of man be satisfied. So Sha'ol Avadon, the Ralbag says, is Vahu Hachomer Hashahu Sibat said. It's the material part of ourselves, which is the reason why we decay. And so, the, and so he says, material stuff, he doesn't read Sha'ol Avadon as being just about the netherworld. He reads it as, in general, the idea of physicality will never be satisfied. It'll never run out. Why? Because they always look for other tzurot, other forms, meaning that in the medieval way of reading it, there's limitless ways that matter can take shape. And so part of being matter is it always wants to take new shapes. And that's why it changes from whatever it is. That's what decay is all about. It's matter looking for new shapes. So whether or not you buy that version of physics, it is the, the parallel is, so too, the heart of a person is never going to be completely satisfied from muskalot, from learning new things. And Ubazeh, he says, Sot amok It's telling you something very deep and important about the intellect. So that's just as the original pieces of matter are naked, meaning they don't have any particular form they are required to take, and they could take all sorts of forms, and then you put a form onto it, so too, that is true of your intellect towards new pieces of knowledge and therefore I think he's saying that we have a, a very big role and therefore a very big responsibility in shaping the way that our intellects form. We should never think that our intellect is fully satisfied, fully sated. It's always looking for new things to take in and to build on and grow off of. So 
so much as the cast of as have we seen before, you know, the smelting things for the silver and for the gold, the east of Himahalalo, um, I think I think that it, the Rabbag understands it to mean each little man is tested by his praise. I think the Rabbag is saying that when it comes to an evil, when it comes to somebody who is not wise, will always will think of himself as wise because he thinks that as long as people are praising him, that shows that he's gotten rid of all of his impurities. Whereas a a silver and gold need to go through their smelting things, their their furnaces or their pots or whatever it is going to remove their impurities. As soon as you have praise, some people will buy the praise and will think that the praise is meaningful and real, and therefore they'll feel the no more need to improve themselves. You could go so far as, even if you pound the fool in a mortar with a pestle along with grain, his folly will not leave him. Meaning, even though you try to remove the... When, you, when you're pounding grain, you're trying to remove the, the shell or the chaff or the outer husk. And with an avil, you're not going to be able to do that. So the Rabbah says they mention it here because ivelet is sibachazakali noah hasagat hashlemot. The having ivelet, which is the sense of yourself, ki avil yistapik mashir elo me'inyanim bitchilat hamachshava. And avil is somebody who thinks the first glance that I give something is the right one, and therefore he'll look at himself and say, I seem pretty good. He'll think about a topic. He'll say, I came to a conclusion because this is the first thought that occurred to me. That is an example of being an avil. And therefore, you can pound it into him that he should change, but he's already made his decision because he comes to accept whatever that first impression or opinion was. So the Rabbah says, if you want to start learning muskala, you want to learn learning intellectual ideas, but getting them from what you feel around you, which he's not against, he's spoken about in other, in other chapters, nonetheless, you have to be very careful to know which muhashim are going to take you, which senses and which uh, feelings are going to take you in the right direction, just like you should know uh, your flocks. In other words, you have to get the muhashot hamaskimot, asheyishalem vahem hasagot. So from them you'll get to the muskalot emet. So you have to figure out which ones are going to lead you in positive, constructive directions. So it's not that the physical world is completely, and the world of what we feel and sense is completely problematic, but we have to pick and choose carefully where we learn from and what we learn from. For property does not last forever or a crown for all generations, and therefore, because you don't always have the strength to do so. In other words, you have to experience the world and know things. I think that's what he means. And know and, and start feeling things. And therefore, to get from understanding this world and what you can sense in this world to understanding more important ideas. Because once a person dies, then he loses this power. And then um, and then they'll have removed from them lots of the clipot, lots of the... Uh, impurities of their lives, but they won't be doing it on their own anymore in the same exact way because they will have lost the ability to do that. The grass vanishes, the new grass appears, and the herbage of the hills is gathered in. I think that's just a notation of the passage of time like we had in the previous passage to remind us that we have limited time on earth to be acquiring the kinds of knowledge and the kinds of experience and the kinds of Merits and the kinds of understandings that we can only get here, similar to what I've quoted before, with the villain going on his deathbed. We live in a world where, for pennies, you can get mitzvot. He may have been speaking in his own mind about 
mitzvot that come, regardless of whether we have actual physical experience of the Rabbi here, seems to be talking about the wisdoms and the understandings of the world that really only come from having physical experiences, whether or not they're specifically of mitzvah, but nonetheless we can only understand the world fully here, and it's only in this life that we get to do so, and there's limited time for that. Kivasim lil vushecha umachir sadeh atudim. The lambs will provide you with clothing, the he goats with the price of a field. Meaning, the Rabbi is reading all of this about that the physical world supports, the physical universe, the physical experience supports our being able to get to a real deep understanding of God and of the world. And therefore, he reads it in the same way here too that what it's saying is that these grasses that are going to be cut down and all of these things that we're going to get are going to be done for the sake of giving us a memory and a knowledge and an impression of deeper ideas, and that's what we're getting from them. Pazuk of Zayin, V'dei chalav izim lelachmecha, lelechem beitecha v'chayim, l'narutecha, the goat's milk will suffice for your food, the food of your household, and the maintenance of your maids, that's the JPS version of English, V'dei chalav, as much as you need for the food you need to eat, that will be enough to also give you muskalot, and will be enough for your family to get life, and to get everything you want. So that the end few psikim of this parak for the Ralbag were an emphasis on the value, but the limited value, but the value of the of physicality and of its use in achieving intellectual insight and understanding. So a couple of themes that you have in this parak, you have themes of humility from the beginning and the knowledge that you can't do uh, that you can't get to everything, you can't guarantee the future in any kind of way. Some discussions of of the question of being happy with your lot and being comfortable with your lot and maintaining good relations with others was important for those, for other Arab Sikkim in the Perak. The question of good relationships and avoiding bitterness and controversy and, and being around people who always create bitterness and controversy. That was something else. And then also the value and the limited time we have to benefit from it, to celebrate the experiences of this world, which are sources of import, important and continuing knowledge of God and knowledge of the deeper ideas, that was sort of the end of the parak for the Railback. Have a great day.